This morning's reading is from Isaiah 53. Who has believed what we have heard? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by others, a man of suffering and acquainted with infirmity. And as one from whom others hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him of no account. Surely he has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases, yet we accounted him stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole, and by his bruises we are healed. And we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have all turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth By a perversion of justice, he was taken away. Who could have imagined his future? For he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. They made his grave with the wicked and his tomb with the rich, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him with pain. When you make his life an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring and shall prolong his days. Through him the will of the Lord shall prosper. Out of his anguish he shall see light. He shall find satisfaction through his knowledge. The righteous one, my servant, shall make many righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will allot him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and made his intercession for the transgressors. The word of God for the people of God. Well, today we continue our series that we're calling So Great a Cloud of Witnesses. This series, we're in week six now of this series. This series was inspired by a set of ten statues that were installed above the entrance of Westminster Abbey in London in 1998. These statues portray ten heroes of the faith, ten people who lived and died during the years of the 20th century. In this series, we're hearing their stories. We're learning that saints and martyrs didn't just live hundreds of years ago. There are saints and martyrs living and dying for Jesus in this world still today. We're learning what they have to teach us about walking in the footsteps of Jesus. Today our journey takes us to South Asia. Kamar was born in India. She was born to a Muslim family, but at the age of 17, her father transferred her to a Christian school. He wasn't happy with the education that she was giving at the state school that she'd been attending. 
And it was there at that Christian school that Kamar met somebody who was going to change her life. She met a teacher. And this teacher was one of those people who somehow just radiates a genuine Christian faith. This teacher radiated gentleness and patience and peacefulness and kindness in a way that made Kamar want to know more about Jesus. And so she started asking this teacher questions, and finally this teacher allowed her to borrow a Bible. Kamar took that Bible home, and she started reading through the Bible. And it was while she was reading the book of the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, while she was reading Isaiah chapter 53, something happened. Now, this passage in Isaiah chapter 53, these words that Mary read just a moment ago, they have inspired and given people hope and comfort for thousands of years. The prophet Isaiah lived during a turbulent time in the life of God's people. The prophet Isaiah lived in a moment when the nation of Judah had been conquered by the mighty Babylonian Empire. The Babylonian army attacked the city of Jerusalem. They destroyed the walls of the city. They reduced the temple, the house of God on earth, to a pile of smoking rubble. And then the Babylonians rounded up everybody who they thought might cause them trouble. They rounded up the royal family. They rounded up the priests and the scribes. They rounded up the leaders of the city, and then they took all of those people captive. They led them away, far away, to live as prisoners in the city of Babylon. And the city of Jerusalem was gutted out, and the people were just on the verge of giving up hope when suddenly God spoke to the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah listened to what God had to say, and then Isaiah started writing. And what Isaiah wrote was poetry. He wrote a series of poems, and all of these poems were about the same thing. All of these poems were about a mysterious figure who he called the servant of God. And each of these poems tells the exact same story. The servant of God is despised and rejected. The servant of God experiences pain and injustice. The servant of God is accused of crimes and sins that he did not commit. The servant of God is condemned and executed. The servant of God is thrown into a grave and all but forgotten. And throughout all of this, this mysterious figure, this servant of God doesn't speak. He keeps silent. He doesn't say a word to defend himself. Instead, he takes all of this pain and all of this injustice upon himself. He takes this pain within himself and somehow by taking this pain Within himself, he brings about healing. By taking this injustice into himself, he brings about righteousness. By taking the sins of the world upon himself, he brings about forgiveness. And in each of these poems, in every poem that's written by the prophet Isaiah, there comes a moment when suddenly this suffering servant of God is vindicated. Suddenly all of the people who have despised and rejected and condemned him see his righteousness. Somehow God gives him victory even beyond the grave. The one thing that Isaiah never tells us in all of these poems is who this suffering servant of God is. His identity remains a mystery And that mystery is exactly what makes these poems so powerful. That mystery is the reason why these poems have inspired and given hope to so many people through the years. Because this suffering servant of God has no name, because we don't know who the servant of God is, we can see our own faces in the face of the suffering servant of God. People throughout the ages have seen their own story in the story of this suffering servant of God. Isaiah wrote these poems... And then he sent them 
to the people who were living in captivity far away from home in the city of Babylon. And those people who were living as prisoners in the city of Babylon, they read these poems, and as they were reading these poems, they said, well, the servant of God is obviously us. We have suffered pain and injustice. We have suffered for crimes and sins that we did not commit. The world has written us off and forgotten about us. The world is convinced that Jerusalem is no more, but we know that the day of our vindication is coming. We know that one day God will raise up Jerusalem from the ashes and the rubble. And these poems, that message gave them hope. It carried them through their years of captivity. Hundreds of years later, in the early days of the Christian faith, the followers of Jesus were being persecuted. They were being tortured and condemned and executed for their faith. And during those early years of the Christian faith, the followers of Jesus read these same poems and they said, well, this suffering servant is obviously Jesus. Jesus was despised and he was rejected. He was condemned for sins and crimes that he did not commit. He took the sins of the world upon himself and brought about forgiveness. He was thrown in a grave and written off by the world. But then the day of his vindication came, the day of resurrection came. God gave him victory even beyond the grave, and his story is our story. We are the followers of Jesus. We carry the cross that he carried, and everyone who carries the cross of Jesus will experience the vindication and the resurrection of Jesus. These words, these poems gave Christians hope. It carried them through a time of persecution and fear. We don't know what Kamar saw when she read these words, these words of Isaiah chapter 53. Maybe as she was reading this chapter of the Old Testament, she saw the face of Jesus. Maybe as she was reading these words, she saw some reflection of her own story, some reflection of the pain that was in her life. We don't know what she saw when she read these words. What we do know is that one day while Kamar was reading the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, something shifted in her soul. Something caught fire in her heart. And in that moment, she decided that she wanted to be a Christian. She didn't tell her family that she had decided to become a Christian. She knew that would be dangerous, and so she kept her newfound faith a secret. The only person she told about her faith was this friend, this teacher. That teacher became her sole companion in her journey of faith, her sole means of support. That teacher was the entirety of the church to Kamar. And then, like that, in an instant, that teacher was snatched away from her. In 1947... Not long after Kamar became a Christian, the nation of India was thrown into turmoil. After 90 years of ruling over India, the British Empire finally decided that it was time to leave. And the British were exhausted and they were broke in the wake of the Second World War and they decided that they were tired of fighting to rule a people who really didn't want to be ruled over. And so the British left and on their way out, they did one last thing. They made one last decision. They drew a line on the map. They divided India into two new nations, India for the Hindus and Pakistan for the Muslims. And suddenly, when they announced that they had drawn this line, in the days after the partition was announced, southern Asia suddenly was a flame in violence, Hindus attacking Muslims, Muslims attacking Hindus. And almost overnight, tens of millions of people decided that they needed to leave their homes behind and go to a place where they could be with people who were more like them. They needed to go to a place where they could be safe. Some historians estimate that almost overnight, as many as 20 million people became refugees. Hindus decided to leave Pakistan and go to India. 
Muslims decided to leave India and go to Pakistan. It was a long and it was a perilous journey. Some historians estimate that as many as two million people never reached their destination. They died of violence and starvation along the way. Kamar's family was one of those families who chose to make that journey. They traveled more than a 1,000 miles to Pakistan. They settled in the city of Karachi. And so here is Kamar, surrounded by thousands of refugees in this teeming city that she's never seen before, more than a 1,000 miles away from the only home that she has ever known, more than a 1,000 miles away from the only person in the world who knows that she is a Christian, that she is a believer. She felt all alone and abandoned. She was on the verge of giving up hope, and then a sort of miracle happened. More than a 1,000 miles away, that teacher wrote a letter. She wrote a letter to a friend who was a missionary in Karachi, and somehow, miraculously, that missionary was able to find Kamar, was able to find the one girl she was looking for in all of those many thousands of refugees. She was able to take a message of encouragement to Kamar, and she gave Kamar a gift. She slipped her, her very own copy of the New Testament. Kamar treasured that copy of the New Testament. She kept it close to her heart and she read it from cover to cover over and over again. She secretly nurtured the spark of faith that had taken hold within her soul, but she knew that it couldn't go on like this forever. She knew that she wouldn't be able to keep the secret of her faith from her family forever. And then one day her family made an announcement. They announced that Kamar was going to be married. They had arranged a marriage for her to a Muslim man. Kamar didn't want to be married. But she didn't know how to tell her family no. She knew that it would be dangerous to tell them no. She knew that it would be even more dangerous to tell them the reason why she was saying no, to tell them that she was a Christian, that she had secretly been a Christian for years. Kamar didn't know how to tell her family no, and so instead she did the only thing she could think to do. She ran away from home. And she found some Christians there in the city of Karachi, and those Christians helped to smuggle her out of the city, and they took her to a village hundreds of miles away. They took her to a place where, for the very first time in her life, Kamar was able to openly practice her Christian faith. And Kamar flourished, and she thrived in that place, surrounded by her new friends, by this new community of faith. She was finally baptized She took on a new name. She took on the Christian name of Esther John. And those people who met her there in that place, they saw that Esther had gifts for ministry. They saw her potential, and so they sent her to school, and she became an evangelist. Esther went to live in a village with a missionary couple called the Whites, Mr. and Mrs. White. She got a bicycle. Esther would ride her bicycle from village to village. She taught women how to read and write. And she worked beside them in the cotton fields. And all the while, she shared with them the good news of God's love in Jesus. For the first time in her life, Esther was free to be who God had created her to be. For the first time in her life, she was free to do what God had made her to do. And then one day, Mrs. White called for Esther to come to breakfast. And Esther didn't come. And Mrs. White went to check on her, and when she got to Esther's bedroom, she found Esther's body lying in bed. Esther had been brutally attacked and murdered during the night. And the Whites called in the police inspector. When the police inspector saw the violence that had been committed against Esther, he said, this is clearly a crime of passion. Clearly there was a man in her life. He found Esther's journals. 
He started reading through Esther's journals, convinced that somewhere in those pages he was going to find the suspect he was looking for. When he finished reading through those journals, he gave them back to the whites and he said, she did have a man in her life. Esther was in love with your Jesus. The murder of Esther John has never been solved. Nobody knows who killed her. Nobody knows the reason why. We can come up with any number of plausible scenarios that may have led to her death. It might be that Esther's family finally tracked her down. It might be that someone from her own family chose to take revenge for the humiliation and betrayal and abandonment that they felt like she put them through. It might be that she was killed by a man who saw her while she was riding her bicycle from village to village and took an interest to her. It might be that there was a man who made advances towards Esther and was angry when she said no. It might be that Esther was killed by someone who wasn't happy that she was rocking the boat and was teaching women how to read and write. It might be that Esther was killed by a religious fanatic who wasn't happy with the fact that she was sharing the gospel and spreading the Christian faith. We don't know who killed Esther. We don't know the reason why. And that mystery is part of what makes her story so compelling. Because we don't know why Esther was murdered, women around the world and throughout the ages, women who have suffered violence at the hands of men are able to see their own face in Esther's face, able to see their own story in Esther's story. Every woman who has ever suffered because she chose her own path instead of doing what her family expected her to do, every woman who has ever suffered because she said no to a man, Every woman who has ever suffered because she made waves and rocked the boat. Every woman who has ever suffered because she was a refugee or because she was part of a religious minority. All of those women around the world and through the ages are able to see their face in Esther's face, able to see their story in Esther's story. And that is why it was such a powerful statement when the church decided to include a statue of Esther John among those heroes of the faith who stand now over the doors of Westminster Abbey. When the church decided to place a statue of Esther over the doors of Westminster Abbey, they sent a powerful message. They said to those women around the world and throughout the ages, God is with you in your suffering. God knows your troubles. God feels your pain. You are the suffering servant of God. Your cross is the cross of Jesus. And just as he was vindicated, so one day the day of your vindication will come. For you one day resurrection will come and there is not an empire in this world. There is not a religion in this world. There is not a man in this world who can stop it. Let's pray. God, we pray. We pray that you would give us eyes to see those Esthers who are living still in this world all around us. Give us eyes to see those women who live in fear, who experience violence day after day, not just far away from home, but here in our own neighborhoods, maybe even here in our own homes. God, help us to see them as you see them. God, make us bringers of hope. Help us to sow seeds of peace and healing. 
that there might be no more violence in this world that you love, that there might be no more fear. God, we pray for that day of resurrection and vindication to come. In Jesus we ask it. Amen.